So making some sort of a change seemed like a good idea. You even circled a day on the calendar to start it. Maybe it was your New Year's resolution. Maybe you've started that resolution, and maybe you've already failed that resolution. Like us, you're a fit mess. And in some cases, that resolution or that change might have had something to do with addiction, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or whatever your particular addiction might be. In this episode, we will talk with one of our favorite guests that we've had already uh, so far. He returns, author Johan Hari, author of Lost Connections. And we will talk to him about the root causes of addiction and some possible ways to change them. This is a fit mess with Zach and Jeremy. And happy new year to you. Thanks for being there. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for subscribing on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I guess is how they prefer to be uh, referred to now, or Google Play or whatever it is you're getting the, the show. Thank you for being there. Thank you for your ratings and reviews on iTunes and for all of your feedback on uh, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or leaving comments uh, or uh, reviews in uh, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate all of it. We love hearing from you. That's the reason we're here is to interact with you and try and build a community and get through some of this nonsense that life is together because we can't do it alone. It's uh, it's just too damn painful. Mm, yeah, you hit it. Nonsense. Nonsense. Just got to get through it. I don't know about you. Um, the last couple of weeks were brutal. The The holidays, overwhelming. Uh, the efforts to continue to uh, stay on track with fitness, with diet, with just emotional health, all of it out the window. Just brutal. I, I, I can't remember. And 2018 was a transformative year for me. I went through a, a lot of changes to to get better. And the week leading up to Christmas, I, I just let all of it go. And it's so funny how I remember recently, I think you and I were talking about the uh, the amount of change that you know you and I have both made recently, uh, particularly in the last year, and how at the beginning of it, if anyone had said these are the you know handful of things you need to do to get better, uh, to feel better, to to begin to heal, uh, it would be overwhelming. It'd be too much, and it would immediate, immediately shut me down. And and in that week, I basically stopped eating the way I want to eat, stopped exercising, and just went. You know what? It's the holidays. We're doing Christmas like five different times. Food everywhere is going to be an issue. I don't. I don't want to battle through this. I'm just going to roll with it, which meant yeah. giving up everything that I'd built. That sounds about right. That's what the that's what the holidays are for. Yes. So now here I am on the other side of it. Feel like shit. Struggling to get my diet back in order. Struggling to get back into the gym. All of it. When I look at the list of all the things that I was doing and wanting to do them again, I just go, Oh my god. That's just too much. How how am I ever going to do that? Even though I just spent the last like 10 months doing it. Mm -hmm. I know I'm capable. But now looking at it as one massive change through all of these different steps, it's it's too much. It's overwhelming. And that has been really the theme of my life the last really the last month. Just incredibly overwhelmed. You know, on top of holidays, I decided that December was a hell of a time to uh, try and get my budget in order. Huge mistake. Right. You know, when it's something you've neglected for, you know, most of your life and you decide, you know what, Christmas season, that's the time to, to really get the, the spending under control. Forget that. Completely just devastated by the results. Uh, yep. it, that's the worst time to try and do it. It's awful. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know that I have a resolution necessarily. Uh, there, there are things that I'm trying to do over, trying to reset. 
I know that through a lot of it, the uh, the call to my addictive nature got stronger and stronger. It was evident in the fact that uh, I'm now celebrating uh, over one year completely sober. Congratulations! It's a big. That's a big one. It is, and and uh, and it's a lot. It's a lot. It was a lot building up to it in the last few days, especially as hard as things were getting. I kept hearing that voice in my head saying, "So you've made it, man. You've de- you've done a year. You can have." You know, you can have a glass of champagne at New Year's. You can have a beer. You know, things are tough. You got to just get through this. Uh, you know, one beer isn't going to throw anything off. But tell mm-hmm. that to the, to the 87 cookies that I had all week. Tell <laughs> that six pieces of pie. You know, all the all the food. Like, I turned my addictive nature to my food issues and just just went, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to, I'll get it back. I'll be fine. And I proved to myself that, one beer would lead to seven because one cookie led to 85, you know, like I, I'm, I'm reminded constantly whenever I let my guard down that I'm not strong enough to, to dabble, you know, to, to just occasionally partake in, in all the various uh, things that I've struggled with uh, my whole life. Yeah. It's moderation. If you, and knowing yourself, if you know that for me, it's ice cream. If I, buy a pint of ice cream, the whole thing's getting eaten in one shot. I right. Mean, it's just going to happen. There's so, a reason they're made in such convenient sizes. I know it's handheld and it fits, it fits in the cup holder in my car, which I thought was. <laughs> I've never tried that. So it's like, you'll eat a pint of ice cream on the go out of the cup holder. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I went, I went into the store one day and bought a pint. So I didn't come out with a bag or anything like that. And I just, you know, it was like, oh, let me put it in the seat. And I was like, no, I don't want it to roll around. And I just, oh, look, cup holder. And it fit in there perfectly. I mean, it was it was made for the cup holder in my car. So I, I just thought it was fate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're made to be together. Yes. But again, moderation. It's it's I know that if I have a pint of ice cream in the house, I'll eat the whole thing. So I just choose not to have it in the house. And you know, there's always the days where I'm like, well, there's no pint of ice cream in the house, but the store's really close. I can go get it. Right. And those are typically the days I fail. How uh, how did that hold up over the holidays? Because when you're out and about going to all the different families' uh, homes or different celebrations, there's uh, tons of temptations everywhere. Did, were you able to, to stay on track or did you cave? No, I caved. I mean, it was um, I started I started the cave. Well, you know, I started with my my last diet trend called getting the flu mm-hmm. and that was about a month ago a little over a month ago and it took me almost four weeks to really fully recover from that but in the the time that I was recovering from it the you know, actually from Thanksgiving really we just started eating really bad on Thanksgiving and there was cookies around and people were giving us cookies and all these snacks and you know my family is pretty big and we had to go, like you said, we, I think we did like four or five Christmases and there were cookies and, you know, my wife's Italian. So the, the dinner that we did was multi-course and I mean, it was absolutely delicious and I would do it again. But, you know, as far as like sugary stuff that I, I shouldn't be eating, mm-hmm. I consume more in the last month than I have all year. It's amazing how powerful that stuff is and how once you go, uh, I'll, I'll just have one. Yeah. And well, I had one. I'm I'm off the rails now. Let's have three more. And then you're just game on. Let's let's see how far this this thing will go. 
Yeah. And it's such a big battle too, right? I mean, once I have one and I say, okay, I'm off and I go for a week or two because I fell off rather than, you know, trying to say, you know what? I had a cookie. That's fine. Let's get back on. Cause you can burn that cookie off. Like you, you know, I'm, I'm just going to fast for the next, you know, 16 hours or whatever. Most of that's going to, you can burn that off. But once you crack, it's so easy to just see how far the ride can take you. Yeah. And and the cool part about it, if you really look at like what's happening in your brain, it's just that you get, you get a nice little dopamine rush and then you, and then you crave more and more and more and more and more. And then in order to get off of it, you essentially have to have withdrawal symptoms, yep. which you want to avoid at all costs. Yeah. And I, I do think part of that led to what uh, was a really ugly week, even following uh, the holidays. It's, some of it uh, boiled over for me. I took uh, my family to see the the Mary Poppins film, the uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which, by the way, great movie. You, you got to see it. It's fantastic. But I, th- there was an incident at the theater, which had less to do with the actual incident and more to do, I think, with what was going on in me emotionally and, and mentally and all that, uh, you know, we're, we're in line, we've, we've bought our tickets, we've got all, you know, and, and there's like seven of us and I'm trying to manage all the various tickets and, you know, the, the 87 gallons of soda that everyone's uh, got in each cup. And I'm just trying to get my kids to decide at the one of like four soda machines, each one with about 6,000 options, uh, trying to get them to decide which flavor they would enjoy. And so I'm asking them, they're getting distracted because someone's talking to them and someone else. And finally, I said something to them like, guys, come on, we just need to make a decision, please. And the guy behind me, random stranger, says, yes, please. Now, my kids are seven and three. And I lose my patience with them. I understand that others in public would, would lose patience with kids that are slowing them down for whatever reason. Keep in mind, the movie didn't start for like 10 more minutes. So we got nothing but time. But I turned and I just looked at this guy and I tried to, uh, through my eyes, express how much I wanted to feed him his own face. Like I just wanted to tear this guy apart. And it was kind of that thing where like he said the same thing I just did. But, you know, like like I can trash talk my family. But if you're going to trash talk my family, we're going to have an issue. And so I just sort of shot him a look, tried to calm down. But I felt my hands starting to shake with rage. I felt my body just starting to burn up. I just I wanted to get violent and I am not a violent person. I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever been in a real fight in my life. If, if push came to shove, I would probably lose because I don't know what I'm doing, but I just knew that I wanted to destroy this guy. And so, you know, we finally, we fill up the drinks, we move along and I'm saying to my family, we just need to get into the theater and sit down. Otherwise this, this could get bad because I just felt it getting worse. And we get over to the ticket uh, counter and, and I set all this stuff down to try and get all the tickets out. And here comes the guy walking by me. And I couldn't help but say, oh gosh, sorry, I hope I'm not slowing you down again. Now I admit, dick move. I, I probably should have just let it go. But I was so filled with rage. He turns to me and says something like, have a good day. And I said, yeah, you too. Like I, I, I was egging him on as much as he was giving it back. Wow. Back and forth with a few verbal uh, barbs. He called me a butthead at one point. Uh, and finally, I just kept repeating to him, keep walking, because I knew if I said anything else, it was going to get ugly, and I didn't want my kids to see that. I didn't want the consequences of that. And it solves nothing. Right. I know all of this. I'm, I'm smart enough to know all of this. But the animal in me wanted to tear this guy's arms off. 
finally we were able to just get our things and just get past him and walk into the theater. And then of course he walks into the theater also. So we're in the same room for the next two and a half hours. And I'm just boiling most of the time, just knowing that he's there, knowing that he, you know, in some way disrespected my kids and I'm struggling with, did I do the right thing by letting that, by letting it go as much as I could by basically not getting violent or should I have somehow defended, you know, defended their honor, defended what ultimately is my ego. Right. Um, And, and I think all of that had more to do with sort of what I was dealing with outside of that moment uh, and dealing with my family struggles and stuff. But I just, I, it was so amazing how, uh, how, how angry I got with myself because I knew I know that I should be able to let that go. I should be able to to breathe through that, dismiss his inappropriate behavior as, you know, something beyond my control, nothing I can do about it. But my ego just swelled so big and just was like, "Oh no. We're going to deal with this problem." Right. That's tough. That's tough. Well, at least it didn't get violent. Yes. I mean, ultimately I know uh that ends badly no matter what happens and um, other than the butthead comment seems like you guys were being rather cordial uh saying it in a mean way right yes yeah, everything we were saying was being said in a very mean and uh and disrespectful way that stayed with me all weekend my, you know i wasn't able to deal with my kids when they were you know crying and needing me i wasn't able to to deal with anything else because i was still just filled with anger all weekend and you know i tried to spend some time figuring out why i tried to sort of you know as much as i could calm myself down to meditate on it I, I was able to finally, you know, root everything back to uh, fear, just being afraid, being afraid that I'm not strong enough to defend my family, being afraid that uh, that I'm not capable of of working something like that out, not basically not able to function as a capable adult. It all comes back to that. Like, do I have what it takes to survive this life? Um, and, and I'm reminded constantly that that fear drives Almost everything that I, that I do, everything that I feel, uh, and it's something that I'm probably going to be dealing with my entire life. And it's these awful interactions um, and experiences that are are big reminders of how powerful it is. Which then also makes me feel like I'm I'm afraid that I'm too weak to handle it. Yeah, I I, I mean the fear is good though. I mean the fear is what drives us. It's you're either going to run from it or you're going to embrace it. But I think just just hearing you tell that story right after hearing you say that you've just been off the rails with everything that you've been doing, you know, all the small changes that you've made to take care of yourself. And all of a sudden, some jerk in the movie theater can set you off like that. Right. It, I think it really just emphasizes how these little changes take effort, not only to implement, but to keep them going. and. The holidays, I mean, they'll they'll destroy you, but these little changes have to be kept up and you have to keep working on them. Otherwise, you're going to have a situation like this where, you know, you're not eating right, you're not exercising, you're not meditating, and some jerk at the movie theater can just light you up for a whole weekend. That That's what it sounds like to me. And it, it, it just amazes me that going off the rails for that long can have that much of an impact on us. And that, that is really the sort of shocking thing is that I basically, over the course of that week, sort of lived the way I was living before I started implementing these changes. And no wonder I drank basically daily 
to cope. No wonder I you know wanted to hide constantly from my own emotions because if that was in me after a week, imagine what a lifetime of of just basically not giving a shit what I put in my mouth. Right. Uh, it's, it's devastating what it what it does. Yeah. To me. So and I've been I've been uh, suffering from it as well. Right. I mean. The last month has been pretty bad for me as far as eating and exercise. I've, I was so sick that I, had, I couldn't exercise. And I, even to this day, it's been almost four weeks. And I've only done yoga like three times in four weeks. And, um, wow. you know, I just, I just feel it. Like um, we went to New York for the holidays, but just flying back with my daughter, like the little things that wouldn't bother me just kind of set me off. Just, you know, as an example, she was trying to drink her apple juice on the plane with one hand and, you know, just uh, waiting for it to spill. I was like, please use two hands so that a random bump of turbulence doesn't spill that all over you and I have to deal with it. Something like that just bothered me. Whereas before, I I don't think it would really bother me if I was eating right and exercising regularly and uh, doing all the right things. I I deal with a lot of that stuff on a regular basis anyways, but it's so hard when you see you know, and, and maybe that's a parenting thing. And, and if there's, you know, other parents listening, but that, that feeling of seeing what is clearly going to end badly and going, please just do the thing, you know, better. If, if you thought about it for one second, you'd realize what a bad idea that is. And then it ends in disaster and you end up cleaning it up. It's just that those little things just wear you down. And when you already are at a breaking point, it's, it's silly how much power those things have over, uh, your your ability to react properly yeah and i and now new year's has come and i i have thinking about resolutions and and really i don't have any resolutions other than just getting back to where i was working out every day meditating uh eating the right things and part of that is going to have to be you said at the beginning uh getting back into that is so much harder you know, the longer you go without it, but it's a lot to take on in one shot. And that, that's really my resolution is to get back to where I need to be, where I want to be and where I consider my normal. Because now when I eat like this, when I don't exercise and I, I have all of these emotional, uh, shall we say rages, this isn't mm-hmm. normal, you know, and a lot of people go through life like this. And thinking that it's normal and it's not. So I don't know about you, but my resolution is to get back to my normal and and putting back in place my little, all the little things that keep me stable and from tearing my hair out. That's very much where, where I'm at as we start this new year also is uh, I was writing down today that one of the things I want to do is basically literally make the list, write out everything that I'd been doing prior to the holidays and go, okay, you took these one at a time before, let's do it again. Maybe you're strong enough to do two or three, but make that list and go, you, this is where you were. You can do this. You did this. Do it again. Um, so that's sort of my my first approach. Another uh, issue that uh, sort of gets us into the conversation that we had with, uh, with our guest, um, my wife has decided that uh, Facebook has been taking up too much of her time and um, so she is taking a, a one month, uh, Facebook blackout. Like she's, she's not going to be engaging at all. Not even there. like on the and, computer. Like, you know, I've, I've heard people who they uninstall the app from their phone and, and they don't hit Facebook unless they're like in front of a computer. She's just taking a hundred percent, no Facebook. 
she wants to have nothing to do with it. Uh, she offered to others online, hey, do you want to join me in this? A lot of people, myself included, uh, have to use it for professional uh, uh, tools uh, to some degree. But beyond that, so I said, you know, I want to get on board with that. And so I, at home, I'm not going to engage uh, in social yeah. media, in any of it. Because I did see it. that post and I very consciously kept scrolling because I've got a lot of other things I got to implement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it is, uh, again, it's one of those things where we've talked about this with a number of our guests, where when, once you start paying attention to the thing you're trying to change, it can be really shocking how powerful that thing is without you even knowing it. And, and I've noticed every morning the alarm goes off. I turn it off. The alarm is my phone. Now my phone is in my hand. I open up my email to see if there's anything critical that came in there. I start checking all the different social media feeds. I start checking work email. This is all within like a minute of waking up. Yeah. And I'm just littering my head with toxic crap that really, you know, if, if something critical came into my email, it's not critical. You know, I, the phone would have rang three times and woke me up at three in the morning if there was something critical. Um, but that pull to, you know, did I, did something I posted get liked? Did something, did somebody respond to something? You know, did we get some great sponsorship offer on the podcast? Something like I'm, constantly just looking for that positive feedback through something that doesn't offer genuine positive feedback, but it simulates it enough to, to feed that addictive uh, beast. So, uh, so I'm trying this month to, no, I'm not going to try. I am going to stop using all social media while at home. Like I want to be able to get home, plug my phone in and walk away from it, uh, you know, and not use any of that for this month. And it's already, I've already failed a couple of times. So I'm going to try again today when I get home and, and sort of reset, but it's, it's again, just mind blowing how addictive that process is. Uh, it's amazing how addictive alcohol is and having gone a year now, it's, I was thinking on the way to the studio today, how wild it is to be sitting here thinking, gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can drink in moderation. I don't know if I can go back to having, you know, a beer, every day or a few beers a week or whatever, where a year ago I was saying, there's no way I could quit drinking. That's, that's impossible. Like that's so, I can't imagine my life without being able to drink, you know, socially or whatever. Um, so it's all very powerful and addiction is something that we were lucky enough to talk with, uh, our guests about, and this actually, this conversation actually happened uh, several weeks ago. Uh, with author Johan Hari. He's the author of Lost Connections. We spoke with him, uh, like I said, a few episodes back, and we focused primarily in what you heard in that discussion on anxiety and depression and sort of the causes and the way that we are, uh, as a society, you know, not making the best efforts in treating them because we're sort of treating them like we treat most things. We try and throw pills at it. In some cases, it's, you know, somewhat helpful. And in some cases, it's a complete waste of time. But part of the conversation specifically was about addiction, and we talked uh, at length about tech addiction. The, he actually um, did a ton of research on that, as well as uh, alcohol and drug addiction, which was a bigger focus of his previous book. Uh, but we'd like to share now with you th- the conversation we had with him about addiction. Uh, again, this is Johan Hari, author of the book Lost Connections, uh, and we began talking about the addiction to technology and, and social media. <laughs> I just talked with my daughter's um, second grade teacher and she's been teaching for 25 years and she was making mention of 
the smartphone babysitter and that kids are constantly on technology today and how the difference between kids now and kids 20 years ago is is astonishing to her. And I was thinking about that as I was reading your book and and the loneliness portion of it, the dopamine hits that we get from a like on Facebook. You know, what's your take on technology and how, you know, do you think that technology is is one of the key factors that's kind of pushing depression along in, in society as, in general? I went to the first ever internet rehab center in the United States because I wanted to think about this. It's just outside Spokane and in Washington state. It's not so far from where you guys are. It's called Restart Washington. And uh, I remember the day I, I first arrived there. It's like a clearing in the woods. I remember getting out of the car and absolutely instinctively glancing at my phone and feeling really annoyed that I couldn't check my email. And then thinking, oh, wait, you're in the right place. You've come to an internet rehab center. And uh, it's totally fascinating. The woman who runs it is an amazing woman called Dr. Hillary Cash. She explained to me a lot of the people they get, they get all sorts of people there, but they disproportionately get young men. And they disproportionately get young men who become obsessed with multiplayer role-player games like um, World of Warcraft. And I'm guessing, although it didn't exist then, Fortnite. And speaking to these young men, I remember afterwards speaking to Dr. Cash, and her explaining to me, you've got to ask yourself, what are these young men getting from these games? They're getting the things they used to get from the culture that they no longer get, right? They get a sense of status. They get a sense of tribe. They get a sense they can gain and rise in status. And they get a sense they can roam around, right? The average British child now spends less time outdoors than the average maximum security prisoner, because by law, a maximum security prisoner has to have 70 minutes a day, right? They're getting these things, but what they're getting is more like a kind of parody of these things, right? I start to think that the relationship between social media and social life is a bit like the relationship between porn and sex, right? I'm not opposed to porn, but if your entire sex life consisted of looking at porn, you would be going around pissed off and irritable the whole time because it's not meeting your deeper needs, right? We didn't evolve to look at porn, we evolved to actually have sex, right? And in a similar way, we didn't evolve to look at each other through screens. This is, this is not meeting our deeper needs. It's, it's a complicated relationship, isn't it? I don't think it's that technology caused the crisis, right? Think about the moment that the internet arrives. That for most of us, the late 90s, the early 2000s, the kind of social collapse and many of the other factors that, caused, that are causing depression and anxiety that I write about lost connections were actually already in place. There'd been a huge rise in loneliness prior to the arrival of the internet. The interesting thing is the internet arrives and it looks a lot like the thing we've lost, right? You've lost, you've lost friends, well, here's some Facebook friends. You've lost status, here's some status updates. But it's not the thing we've lost, right? It's close enough. It's like giving porn to a guy in prison, right? It's, it's close <laughs> enough. It's not the thing you need, right? Um, so I think it's a complicated relationship that's more than just, and it's too simplistic to say, I know this is not what you're saying, but it's too simplistic to say the internet caused this, right? Is that the internet, what's the, the line from people often say in AA and NA, uh, you know, it's hard to get enough of something that's not quite enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like that. It's an attempt to fill a hole that was already there. It's, it's a symptom that makes the problem worse for many people, not everyone. Does that I, make sense? Do you I, see what I mean? I think I think it's. Uh, I believe you made the analogy in uh, in your book, uh, uh, relating it to to sort of uh, fast food or junk food. That yeah, it's food you can eat it, but nutritionally, it's starved of everything you actually need. So it's it's as artificial as eating 
that fake food. Yeah, and there's another aspect of the analogy with um, junk food that I find really interesting. It was actually one of the hardest causes of depression and anxiety for me to, to, to learn about because I could see how much it played out in my own life. So everyone knows junk food has taken over our diets and made us physically sick, right? We all know about the obesity crisis. You have to look, just look around you, right? But what's interesting is there's been a similar transformation. A kind of junk values have taken over our minds and made us mentally sick. I learned about this a lot from a, a, an extraordinary man called Professor Tim Kasser, who's at Knox College in Illinois. So Professor Kasser showed a few things. Every human being, it was already known before Professor Kasser, but he made discoveries about it. So every human being is a mixture of two kinds of motivation. If you think about everything you do, there's basically two kinds of motivation. So imagine you play the piano in the morning. If you play the piano in the morning because you love it and it gives you joy, that's called an intrinsic reason to play the piano. You're not doing it to get anything out of it. You're just doing it because that's something you love. Okay, now imagine that you play the piano not because you love it and it gives you joy, but I don't know, in a dive bar to pay the rent or because your parents are really pressuring you to be a piano maestro or to impress a woman. I don't know, maybe some piano fetishist out there, right? That would be an extrinsic reason to play the piano. You're not doing it for the thing itself because that gives you joy. You're doing it to get something out of it further down the line, right? And of course, we're all a mixture of these intrinsic and extrinsic motives. But Professor Kasser showed two really important things. The first is, the more your life is driven by these extrinsic motives, by status, by money, by what you're trying to get out of it, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious by a really quite significant amount. And it's also shown that as a society, as a culture, we have become much more driven by these extrinsic values. They're a bit like junk food, right? The extrinsic values, this, you know, worrying about how you look to other people all the time, whether you look better than other people on Instagram, all that kind of thing. That, that, that is not a satisfying way to live your life. It doesn't meet your deeper needs as a human being. In fact, it makes you feel like shit. And as a culture, we've become much more, much more driven by that. And that's one of the, the factors that's driving up this depression and anxiety crisis. So sort of along those lines and, and what you've uh, what we were kind of getting at, I think, with the social media and, and sort of all of this is is also the role that um, drugs and alcohol and, and addiction plays in this. And uh, I, I was first introduced to you by uh, there was a TED talk that you gave uh, and it related to your book, Chasing the Scream. And you talked a lot about the research of, uh, of sort of how loneliness sort of leads to substance abuse. And so I'm just kind of curious how you tie all that together. Yeah, loneliness is one dimension of a kind of broader picture, as you say, that, that again, this was a personal journey for me because we had a lot of addiction in my family. One of my earliest memories is of trying to wake up one of my relatives and not, and not being able to. Um, I didn't understand why then, but obviously as I got older, I learned about addiction and I learned loads of things for chasing the screen, but there was one thing in particular that really transformed how I thought about what I had seen and what was playing out around me. I think it's really important for understanding the opioid crisis because I think we're actually really misunderstanding the opioid crisis, which is a horrific catastrophe um, and is leading us to the wrong, wrong solutions. So if you'd asked me what causes, let's say, heroin addiction, because that's something that played out close to me, if you'd said to me when I started doing the research, nearly eight years ago now, well, what causes heroin addiction? I would have looked at you like you were stupid. I would have said, well, obviously heroin causes heroin addiction, right? <laughs> <laughs> the clue's in the name, right? Um, been told this story for a hundred years that's become totally part of our common sense, right? It's certainly was mine that, you know, 
So we think that if we kidnapped 20 people off the streets of Seattle, we injected them all with heroin every day for a month, like a villain in a Saw movie, at the end of that month, they'd all be heroin addicts for a simple reason. There are chemical hooks in heroin. Their bodies would start to desperately physically need. They'd have this desperate physical craving. And that's, that's what addiction is, right? That physical craving for the hooks. We call it being hooked, right? And there's actually a study in the 1970s by an amazing man I got to know, Professor Bruce Alexander in Vancouver, who, which has shown that we need to think about it very differently. So Professor Alexander explained to me, the story we have that addiction is just caused by the chemical hooks comes from a series of experiments that were done earlier in the 20th century. They're really simple experiments. Your listeners can try them at home if they're feeling a bit sadistic. You, you take a rat, you put it in a cage, and you give it two water bottles. One is just water, the other is water laced with either heroin or cocaine. If you do that, the rat will almost always prefer the drugged water and almost always kill itself quite quickly. So there you go, that's our story. People might remember the famous advertisement from uh, in the United States in the 80s that showed this, the height of the kind of Nancy Reagan, just say no stuff. But in the 70s, Professor Alexander had come along and looked at these experiments and said, well, hang on a minute, you put the rat alone in an empty cage. It's got nothing that makes life meaningful for rats. All it's got is the drug. It's in solitary, basically. What would happen if we did this differently? So he built a cage that he called Rat Park, which is basically heaven for rats, right? They've got loads of friends. They can have loads of sex. They've got loads of cheese. They've got loads of colored balls. Everything a rat can want in life, right? It's there in Rat Park. And they've got both the water bottles, the normal water and the drug water. And of course, they try both. But this is the fascinating thing. In Rat Park, they don't like the drug water. They hardly ever use it. None of them ever use it compulsively. None of them ever overdose. So we go from almost 100% compulsive use and overdose when they don't have the things that make life meaningful to none when they do have the things that make life meaningful. There's lots of human examples I can talk about, lots of human experiments that have shown the same principle, but what this shows us is the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, the opposite of addiction is connection. If you are disconnected from the things that make life meaningful, which are partly social connections, but other things as well, like meaningful work or for humans, all sorts of other things that go through lost connections, the core of addiction is about not wanting to be present in your life because your life is too painful a place to be. And we think about this in relation to the opioid crisis. Where is the opioid crisis worst? It's places like Monadnock in, in New Hampshire, where I've spent some time. It's places where people have been deprived of the things that make life meaningful in the really deep ways. You know, this is one of the leading experts on the opioid crisis, calls them deaths of despair, right? It is way too simplistic to think this is just caused by the drug, right? You can, it's actually easier for the faculty at Harvard to get hold of opioids because they've all got really good health insurance than it is for people in West Virginia. Why is there virtually no opioid addiction in the faculty at Harvard and a huge amount in West Virginia? It's because people in West Virginia have been deprived through no fault of their own of their deepest psychological needs. They are in terrible pain and distress, terrible psychological pain and distress. And they are reaching for the anesthetic that is available to them. And, and if we want to reduce this crisis, there are, there are things we can do at the level of drug policy, and I'm happy to talk about them. And I've been to countries that have solved their opioid crises, like Switzerland. They did something very different to what the United States is doing now, for sure. But we also need to deal with these wider questions that we're talking about. We need to deal with the causes of people's despair. This is, a, this is an alarm signal that we should be listening to. If we had listened to this alarm signal way back when it began, I don't think we would have Donald Trump as the most powerful person in the world. And I think we, would have, we wouldn't have got to this dire state that we have now. Wow.
All right. Our thanks again to author Johan Hari. Uh, we could have talked to the guy for days. He's just a, a fascinating uh, writer and, uh, and he's done some really great work getting to the bottom of things like addiction and anxiety and depression. And one of the things he talked about in that interview really rings true to me now, sort of being on the other side of, of the addiction battle, or at least, you know, this far onto the other side of it as I am, is how he talked about it's not the drug. You know, there might be something addictive about the drug to some degree, I guess, but but it's really not. It's it's the thing that you're treating with whatever the, the drug is, whether your drug is food or alcohol or, or whatever it may be. That really rings true to me now, having gone through what I've gone through the last couple of weeks and really wanting to, again, numb the thoughts, numb the pain, numb whatever I'm going through by reaching for a beer or what, or whatever it is, but just constantly trying to feed that empty, hollow, ugly feeling to make it go away because I'm not yet strong enough to face it and, and put it in its place and, and be, be better than that voice. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting to hear that again at this point and, uh, and sort of apply that to the last couple of weeks of my life, I guess. Yeah. And, but this is part of it for you, right? This is, it, it's always going to happen like this, right? You're going to have moments of clarity and you're going to have moments of, uh, murkiness in, in, in your journey. And this is a good place for you to be because this is going to show you that you can come back from it, right? The holidays are not going to destroy you. They're going to set you back, but, but you'll get back on your feet and, and you'll be okay by the end of January. Well, and I think that that is uh, the perfect segue to what we love doing on the show. Let the challenge begin. It's challenge time. But as we've uh, discussed, it's it's been a brutal couple of weeks or so. So we're going to take it a little easy on each other. Uh, we've discussed at length the laundry list of things that we need to do to sort of get back to what we want our normal to be, to what our you know sort of new-ish normal is. So I, I guess, Zach, uh, just sort of, the, I, I guess the challenge is to just do what you can to get back on track. Yeah, I, I just can't accept the way I feel when I eat like shit and don't exercise and don't meditate and do all the little things that I've been doing all year to take care of myself and, and keep myself healthy. I can't accept that as normal. So this is abnormal for me at this point in my life. And I need to get myself back to normal. Uh, and that means cutting out all the junk food and getting, you know, my eating and my, and my exercise back to where it was. And just getting back to taking care of myself and being normal, but it is hard. It's going to be, it's going to be tough because oh, that sugar, I mean, the sugar lights up the reward center in your brain, you know, just like cocaine does. It's, it, it it's going to be tough to put that down again. It, it is already uh, for me as well, but I, I think I'm, uh, I think I'm day five of sort of being back uh, to, you know, a, a, mostly if not completely sugar-free uh life um and and already sort of the you know the the fog is starting to lift a little bit and and I'm starting to feel a little bit better um so I accept your challenge and uh and we'll join you in trying to get back to my my better normal my healthier normal and I guess that would be the challenge to the listener maybe you know maybe you don't have a new normal yet maybe this is 
your fresh start, you're, you're taking on a new challenge of, you know, you got that new gym membership or, you know, you haven't had any sweets since the new year. You haven't drank since new year's Eve, whatever it is. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's tough. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do to focus on yourself, to try and make yourself feel better, to try and live a happier and a healthier life. It's, it sounds crazy that that's something that's hard, but if you're like us and you're restarting or starting for the first time, whatever it is, you've done this before. You've, you've made these promises to yourself before. And for some reason, it's always put on the back burner from the experience that I've had. I can assure you that it's worth it. You will feel better. I, I wish we had some concrete steps. I wish we were one of those shows that could say, all you got to do is A, B, C, and D, and boom, your life will be 100% better. I'm pretty sure all those guys are lying. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's all bullshit. But there are a lot of things that you can do, but only you will know when they work. You have to apply them to your life and decide, yes, this makes me feel better, or no, this makes me feel worse, or no, this isn't worth the time. And just keep making those little steps until you unlock the first door that says, ah, this is the path that I want to be on. Well said. You've, you've just inspired Thanks, me. Man. I think I'm very, I think I'm going to do it now. The only, the only issue that I have right now is um, that I still have a few uh, non-alcoholic beers from Bravest Brewery in my fridge. Yes. Our sponsor. Hey, let me, let me just say, I, I neglected to point this out uh, earlier in the episode over the course of celebrating five Christmases. I only had three of my beers left. So I, I got through like the first two days and then each day when I got home, I would go, okay, I've, I've earned this. Mm-hmm. I get to have this. And it wasn't a, a dietary thing. It was just like, normally I would come home and relax with a beer. Thanks to our wonderful sponsor, Bravest Brewing. I've got some of the best non-alcoholic craft beers you can have. I'm going to reward myself with one each day. So I had each uh, a stout, an amber, and an IPA. And, you know, it sounds crazy, but it did satisfy that feeling of I, I'm rewarding myself with a beer. It was very similar to when I drank real alcohol without all the uh, toxic poison that, uh, that I was putting in my body before. So it's good stuff. So it's, uh, it's great to have them on board. And, uh, oh, I, we should mention, if you want to try it out yourself, go to our website. Uh, there's uh, several links to, to their uh, site through ours. If you order online, use the promo code FITMESS10, you get 10% off your order. That helps uh, them know that you heard us talking about it, and it helps support the show and helps support them and their great business. Uh, I think that's all we've got for you this time. Are we are we out? Did we check all the boxes? Uh, did we have boxes that we were checking? I'm not quite sure. If if we did, I, we definitely checked I them hoping, all. I was hoping you were checking the boxes because I forgot to fill in the boxes. All right. Uh, well, happy new year to everybody. Uh, good luck with whatever uh, challenges that this year has in store for you. I have a feeling it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I don't know why. I just got that vibe. So let's stay strong. Let's stay together and uh, let's get through this together. Uh, happy new year. And we will be back uh, with uh, a new episode in the next couple of weeks, hopefully on a Monday. Sorry for being a little bit late on this one. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. All for right. Happy holidays, everyone. I'm so fucking proud of you guys. We know this podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything, but we still need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they're talking about and that you'll do your own research on the topics talked about in this podcast.
The hosts of this podcast are not liable for any physical or emotional issues that might occur directly or indirectly as a result of listening to this podcast.